Hey everyone, this is usually the time I tell you about our email newsletter, but I wanted to talk to you about something else. As of January 2023, It's All Journalism is hosted on Spotify's Megaphone platform, so you can subscribe to our podcast there, or you can continue subscribing, listening, or download new episodes of our podcast at Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, or just about anywhere you can find podcasts. But wherever you find us, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode and like and share us on your social media. And now, this week's episode. I think I'm very privileged with the fact that I have a beat dedicated to this, whereas I'm not being pulled in a thousand directions on all these different cases. I am focused on First Amendment and can stand up and say, hey, actually, you have far more leeway than you think. I had a journalism professor once who said that freedom of the press was so important that the Founding Fathers included our machine in the Constitution. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Thanks to a Freedom Forum grant through Journalism Funding Partners, the Tennessean recently hired Angel Latham as a reporter focused full-time on First Amendment issues. That's a pretty amazing thing. And I thought it would be worth having Angel on It's All Journalism to talk about it. Angel, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is great. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you get interested in journalism? How'd you get interested in the First Amendment, which usually are somehow connected, I think? (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually um, an accident. I had no intention of being a journalist at first. I don't know why, because everything I liked doing my childhood had to do with journalism. So I don't know why I didn't catch the idea sooner. But I was actually an advertising major when I started in college. And I knew I wanted to be in media and I knew I wanted to really be involved in activism of some sort. I'm really passionate about justice and I was actually a criminal justice minor. I love law, stuff like that. And so I was already kind of poised on the edge there. I don't know why I didn't just make the leap. They assigned me a math class and I decided I could no longer do advertising if there was math. So as many people find themselves running from math, they end up in journalism. I accidentally signed up for a journalism class and that was that. I realized I really enjoyed it and realized I uh, had what it took to do it. And I kind of just continued. I took over the college paper. I joined my local paper during the summers and uh, really learned a lot, boots on the ground style. A, I like the fact that you admit that you took over the college paper. And B, I should point out to those who, who actually do believe that many journalists can and do use math. You know, I want to make sure that we're not being characterized as an anti-math podcast. <laughs> so tell me about your current role at the Tennessean. How did that come about? So I'm currently the uh, First Amendment reporter for the Tennessean, as we said. This is a new beat. We just started in October. And it's really a new project for the paper. I was working for Gannett in Jackson, Tennessee, prior to this role. And I was hoping to work my way up to Tennessee. And I grew up in Nashville. And so I was always hoping to come back here and really work as a journalist in Middle Tennessee. And while in talks with Tennessee and, you know, looking at how I could be utilized in this city. Unbeknownst to me, this project was going on in the background. As you said, this is a really cool partnership between the Freedom Forum and the journalism funding partners in the Tennessean. And it's really a first of its kind project for our paper. I think a deep need was noticed for a more intrinsic understanding of the First Amendment and really how that plays a role in our everyday coverage. And that's how we ended up here. 
So let's expand a little bit on that. What was it that was being noticed that, you know, hey, maybe we ought to focus on this. Maybe we ought to put a person on this full time. A really big issue that's been going on, I think we can all tell that politics have really become heavily polarized in the past few years. I could say probably past few decades, but free speech and just the First Amendment itself is intrinsic to every single thing we cover. I mean, as journalists, it's kind of a big deal. We're kind of fond of it, but it really touches far more than most people realize. And I think as a paper, we realized that this was an issue that maybe the general public wasn't understanding as well, or people weren't understanding their rights in, in a world where politics are so polarized and everything goes to such extremes on either side. It's hard for people to understand where they're allowed to stand up for their rights in that push and pull. And so as a paper, we really want to make sure we had someone that was dedicated that beat to really to be able to expand on this and help explain to the general public, you know, what their rights were. Now, you've been doing this since October, not a long time, but a time to have been out on the street and talking to people. What have been some of the things that you've noticed that people, maybe the misconceptions or misunderstanding of what the First Amendment is and, you know, whether or how their rights are being somehow infringed? So one thing I really noticed was that there's a really great reception to this role, which I was really impressed by. I didn't know if I was going to step into a role where people were well, either like, why are you here or stuff like that. You know, reporters were always used to having strange receptions or, you know, negative reception. And so I've really been impressed with the positivity connected with this role. There's been a lot of cases that have come to my plate and people just told me flat out, they're like, we didn't know where to go with this. It's really cool that you're covering this because now someone can actually, you know, focus on this and talk about it. A lot of misconceptions, I feel like people think the First Amendment is only freedom of speech. That's a pretty common one. The further you get into the right, the less people remember of it. So uh, freedom of petition and assembly often get left behind. Poor little rights. But they're so important. I think people don't realize how often they utilize a right that they don't understand. And so there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding it. And it's really fun to be able to present the entire amendment as something people need to pay attention to. I'm surprised at the positive response, which I think is is nice. You know, what was it they, you know, before this beat was was sort of established, what was their recourse, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues were kind of just parsed between beats. You know, a lot of it falls under the justice beat. And then we have a really dedicated religion reporter here, Liam Adams. He does a great job. And so a lot of the religion government overlap, a lot of things that do fall under the First Amendment, he would cover. And so not that these things weren't being covered, but there's also like daily coverage that we would maybe consider breaking news or, again, consider the justice. And then if you have someone dedicated to the First Amendment beat, you can really pull out the First Amendment issues of that. Because a lot of cases, even though they fall under other daily coverage subjects, really have a First Amendment vein in it that really exposes deep levels of misunderstanding in our justice system, in just the public understanding of the amendment that really need to be commented on. So can you give an example of something you've worked on where what you were just describing, where a story came in and you pulled out the First Amendment part of it and sort of expanded on it? Yeah, absolutely. This was one of the first ones I covered when I came on board. I feel like this happened in November. Out in Sumner County, Tennessee, there was a preamble 
that was passed to their their county documents, basically. The preamble doesn't really hold any legislative power. It's just kind of stated, you know, we the people of Sumner County and stuff. And in it, they listed that they were a Judeo-Christian. They were upholding Judeo-Christian values. And normally, if I had not been sitting there, that would have fallen under the religion beat. Clearly, it's, it's a religion issue. But it's also very much a First Amendment issue because you can't show preference to a certain religion in stated county documents saying that this is a Judeo-Christian county, Judeo-Christian values. And so it really helped me dive into the church-state overlap part of the First Amendment. There is the freedom of religion. There very much is. But there are also limitations to where that's allowed to be kind of promoted and pigeonholed by certain governmental bodies. And so that was a really interesting piece we worked on. Was that something that that was passed? Yes, they went to it was at a county commission and um, they passed it. It's part of their preamble right now. Okay, And has anybody come forward to, to challenge it in any way? Not legally that I'm aware of. There was a lot of stirring within the county about it. There was a, quite a bit of opposition. There was also some really big supporters of it. First Liberty, which is a law firm, they recently argued in front of the Supreme Court for the coach who was praying on the football field. And they actually sent a letter to Summer County in support of it. They were saying that this was really great that a county was establishing basically their religious values. The argument was that they were not saying they were Judeo-Christian value. They were saying they were upholding values that were inherent to the county. And so it really exposed a really interesting gray area of what can you state as being part of your county versus acknowledging history of the county. It was a really interesting debate. Hmm. What are your thoughts about reporters? Do you feel that most of them have a pretty good understanding of the First Amendment and maybe what protections they have? Yeah. So I think we definitely have probably a deeper understanding of the average person, but not because we're any more educated, but simply because it is part of our daily job, you know, pretty important. And I feel like we do have a pretty good understanding, but I think sometimes reporters don't realize just how much leeway the First Amendment gives you. Sometimes kind of like what you mentioned with meetings earlier. I think people don't quite understand their rights when it comes to being in public meetings, sometimes local governments, it's very easy to chill the First Amendment right to assemble because it's very easy to intimidate someone out of a meeting. If you don't know the nuances of the law, it's very easy to be like, ah, sorry, you can't come to this meeting with the person not knowing that they absolutely have the First Amendment right to be there or open records access and stuff like that. So I do think reporters have a pretty good understanding of it, but I think I'm very privileged with the fact that I have a beat dedicated to this, whereas I'm not being pulled in a thousand directions on all these different cases. I am focused on First Amendment and can stand up and say, hey, actually, you have far more leeway than you think. Yeah. And the other thing is these rights were not put in place just for journalists and reporters. When I used to work at a a community newspaper, I forget which organization did it. One of the press freedom groups used to send out handbooks of reporters' rights. I had a reporter who was loved going to land use meetings and all types of things. And he went to a meeting. One of the people in the audience had brought a camera and set it up and was recording the meeting. And the people who were running the meeting were trying to say, no, you can't do that. You need to get prior permission, blah, 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 blah. But the reporter went into his knowing, you know, the First Amendment is for everybody, (laughs) you know, went in and pulled out his handbook and went up and advocated for the guy and said, no, he's perfectly within his rights to record this meeting. And you can't say anything about it. And the other one that I think about sometimes is lawful orders. 
if you're out covering something and a police officer gives you a lawful order, there are certain areas where you can and can't, I want to say disobey, but you know, you can identify yourself as a reporter that you're covering an event. But if he's giving you a lawful order and you don't really have a, you're not covering something or there are ways that, you know, it probably would be better for you to step away. But it's, again, it's one of those sort of gray areas because you do have a right to be there to cover it. But if a police officer is telling you to get out of a dangerous situation, you need to be aware. A few months ago, I was covering a hostage situation and I was standing outside the police barrier and there was a bit of a conflict. There was a little bit of a pushback because they did not want us there. And they were like, oh, this is for your safety and stuff. But I raised the point. I was like, we are outside the barrier you put. If I'm not in a safe space, you might need to move the barrier. I'm very much allowed to report on this. It was a, it was a tense situation. Technology. You know, one of the things with the digital technology that we're dealing with and the way that it's making it easy to share a lot of information, a lot of misinformation, you know, where does that sort of fit in the realm of a First Amendment reporter's focus? Yeah, it, it does get complicated. There's a gray area there because you do have the freedom to speak. You have it. But as journalists, I think we have to be very careful of not just harping on the fact that we have free speech, but that we need to utilize it correctly. The right is there for us to speak, but that does not mean we can just misappropriate it you know so there's a lot of overlap and it gets a little it gets a little fuzzy sometimes when you have someone maybe speaking online and they're saying something that's quite false but they're like oh it's freedom of speech there's a lot of gray areas there and i think that's one reason people need to be concerned about case precedent people don't pay attention to what's happening in court on first amendment and that's incredibly serious especially in this digital age we need to watch basically watch our courts and watch how the first amendment is being treated because it's different is there anything that surprised you in the uh, couple of months that you've been doing this job? I think most surprising has been learning more about the public's understanding of the First Amendment. I am by no means an expert. Clearly, we just started this in October. I'm a young reporter. I'm just a very eager learner. So I'm by no means an expert. But it was wild to me to become more familiar with how little people understand the rights they have. For instance, the Freedom Forum actually did a wonderful survey last year on America's First Amendment knowledge. And some of the statistics were downright depressing. A really sad one was that about 58% of Americans say that the news media should be the watchdog for the government, but only 14% actually trust us to do so. And that number has been declining. There's about only 14% of people can name petition as a First Amendment freedom which is really sad because a lot of people really do use petition a lot. That's not an uncommon thing, but it's the fact that there's such a disconnect between what people basically utilize in their everyday life and then understand is their right both to protect what they're already doing and also to extend what they could do has really been the most surprising part has just been that there's really a lack of education on this very intrinsic right to American society. Have you had an opportunity to speak to the community at all outside of just reporting to sort of talk about what you're doing? I've done a little bit. So the first event I had with in this beat actually was it was a wonderful meet and greet with a lot of people from the Freedom Forum actually out in West Tennessee. And I really got to meet a lot of the big leaders in this project. And then I actually just got back from a conference in New Orleans that was the American Bar Association's Forum on Communications Law. 
And I was the only reporter there, which was hilarious because I kept making jokes about everything being off the record and about 400 heads would turn and look at me. But (laughs) it was really nice meeting a lot of people who are really embedded in this field. But those are just the academics and the lawyers and the people working who are already deep in this. And so it's been nice when I report, I get a lot of emails from people, just average readers who are like, wow, this was a really great in-depth explanation. I didn't know this was an issue. Thank you so much for reporting on this. So I think it's really nice to be able to bridge the gap between discussions in conference rooms and boardrooms and courtrooms over First Amendment issues that many of us are aware of, but bridge that gap to the average citizen who's like, well, why does this affect me? So- one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on, because I think it, it, it is important for journalists to be thinking about the First Amendment, but I also think it plays a role in the way we as professional journalists are viewed to show that we are a knowledgeable of our rights, but also to recognize maybe where other people's rights are being infringed upon. And for the average journalist, you know, what types of stories, you know, they're not going to be focused 100% on it. First Amendment like you are, but what types of stories maybe could they be doing that would, you know, sort of bring to light this issue? I think a lot of the things that we already cover have a really deep First Amendment potential. I think that's maybe one of the ways newsrooms can make sure we really focus on First Amendment issues is that we already cover First Amendment issues. We just don't often label it as such. For instance, I was recently covering a court case that our justice reporter was already on. It was a really serious case about an inmate that was at the maximum security prison out here in Tennessee. He was tortured by guards. And it was this huge court case that was going on. And on the front face, you would think, oh, this is very much justice reporting. This is very much crime reporting. But there was a huge First Amendment aspect because they were arguing court for access to open records. The state didn't want to turn over security footage. And so I jumped in as part of the First Amendment beat talking about the importance of having access to the state documents on people who are incarcerated. And so I feel like a lot of daily coverage that papers already do really have a First Amendment potential. We're already doing it. You just have to make sure you think, what are the First Amendment issues here? And really make sure you present that to readers to get across the importance of journalism, but also just their place within these rights. Did your paper do anything to request that the documents be, you know, did you a FOIA request? Is that something that's allowed in Tennessee? We often do that. I do not believe we did in this case. It started before I joined, but we often do that. That is something we are quite often (laughs) in court about. This one was interesting because the Associated Press, as well as another local paper, were in court. They were the ones who were pressing to have the records released. So it was very much a freedom of the press issue going on there. It was a really interesting case. One of the things that that I've seen in a very positive way as far as access to documents, I mean, that, that's been a real struggle in many different ways with, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement and the sort of push, not just for, for more open records, but for body cam footage. And I know, you know, I work around a couple of jurisdictions that they made the process so it can happen. And it provides that sort of extra level helping us as, you know, defenders of of the public against and being a watchdog of, you know, public officials. It gets that information out there so that 
you know, we could do a very important job of monitoring what the police are doing. I've seen that in recent years. I know that's still a struggle in a lot of places. What's the situation in Tennessee? Yeah, so that's actually a very immediate issue. I'm sure you heard we just had the situation in Memphis with the release of the body cam footage in the horrific beating of Tyre Nichols. And it was very tense here. It almost feels like an oncoming storm in the newsroom, either footage or really damning documents, usually when we're waiting on it, because they had to respond to us. They knew we were going to get the footage at some point, but they were really withholding the footage to try to uh, curb public reaction to it. And so that's a pretty common fight we have. We will get the footage eventually, but sometimes we do have to lean a little harder into it than other times. And it's, it is incredibly important for the public to have that. That is how we hold institutions accountable. Right. I've seen many cases where, you know, police footage, body cam footage has been released and it exonerates the police, but then it maybe it doesn't necessarily exonerate the police and allows the family an opportunity to have a greater understanding. And, you know, if there needs to be some sort of recourse taken in the courts, then, I mean, that stuff is important, you know, as you said, to be a watchdog, but also to hold power accountable for, you know, the things they do. Yeah, I don't think we're, <laughs> I don't think we're going to get a lot of people arguing the First Amendment is a bad thing and more information is, uh, is not good. We've had many people on the podcast before talking about sunlight uh, laws and freedom of information. So where do you see this, your role going forward? You know, what is it you're hoping to accomplish in the next year or two? Man, people ask me that sometimes. They're like, five years old. I never quite know, but it's not because I don't have, you know, like goals or stuff. It's because I really believe in this project. I really believe in this job and I really believe in the importance of promoting and deeply covering the First Amendment. I really hope this is a beat that we can really well establish at the Tennessee end because it is new. We've never done this before. And so that's one reason we're going to so many conferences, meeting with so many people. We're really trying to, we're not trying to, you know, blow our heads up too much with going, oh, we totally have this handled. You know, we understand that this is new and an issue that's really important to the public. And we want to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the readers who, you know, are paying subscriptions Tennessean and want to read content that really helps them understand the First Amendment. So I'm just really hoping within the next few years that we really expand this beat. I would love to see even more people added to it if possible. But if not, then I'm just going to continue doing this. I really believe in this. And I think that this is something that the people really have interest in and can cover so many topics. Currently, we're having a huge push within Tennessee legislature to really crack down on a lot of LGBTQ issues. And that's become a huge First Amendment assembly issue. And so I think a lot of issues that touch a lot of Tennesseans can really be discussed in the light of their First Amendment rights. And I think it's really important. I agree with you. This is an important subject. It's great to see this sort of brought front and center at the Tennessean, which is a Gannett paper. So, And I know that Gannett likes to take things that work well and spread it around to uh, their different uh, locations. So hopefully that's something that's going to happen in the future. Angel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe.
Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.